You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, November the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And if it seems like I'm lacking my normal juice, I absolutely am. This team has a way of robbing you of your excitement as a fan. That game was a game that Miami should have won. And we'll get into the in-depth stuff in the meat of the show today. But if you talk about wins and losses on individual plays, Miami won seemingly double the number of plays the Raiders won. And what I mean by that is the way they judge that is on first down, if you get half the distance to go, so five yards on first down, that's a win for the offense. Anything less is a win for the defense. On second down, if you shorten the distance to go by half the yardage, that's a win for the offense. And other way around is a win for the defense. And on third down, a conversion is a win, and a hold is a win for the defense. So it seems like the Dolphins, from that standpoint, just won two-thirds of the plays of the game, but the results didn't match up. The Raiders had more big plays than the Dolphins did and uh, and had a little better officiating hope and a little better uh, luck in the penalty department. But uh, let's go ahead and get right into it. On today's show, we're going to go ahead and do the five takeaways from the 27-23 loss to the Oakland Raiders on primetime on Sunday Night Football, and I will answer your guys' Twitter questions. So let's jump right into those takeaways off the bat. Number one is the mistakes by the Miami Dolphins just shot themselves in the foot constantly over and over and over in this game. And I don't want to harp on the officials too much because I do have some more to get to that later. And I just think it's, you know, Miami had their own problems in the game as well. But they definitely struggled in the game to make the right calls. I mean, that penalty on Rashad Jones on the Raiders' final touchdown drive where he basically hits a receiver who's inbounds and gets his own helmet torn off by a guy on the sideline. He gets a flag for 15 yards. I think they were just kind of trying to help the Raiders ice that game there. I mean, that kind of stuff happens in the NFL. So they definitely didn't do the Dolphins any favors, help the Raiders out big time. Tons of holding calls. And uh, like I said, we'll get to that here in a minute. But the big plays negated by the penalty were the big difference. The the long Damian Williams catch and run, that one drive where they started around midfield, that was a killer. And whether or not you want to blame Jarvis Landry for that is one is another question. But it, it definitely set the defense or the offense back. You know, a thirty yard gain negated because of a holding penalty. And then Rashad Jones on that long touchdown pass to the Holton kid. I've never even heard of him. He's in position to make a play, and he just kind of whiffs on it. And the third long conversions were another problem. That first drive alone, they converted three third and nines plus and. When you're doing that as a defense, it just breaks your back because you fight on first and second down to get into that pass rushing situation. And it really, I mean, obviously it doesn't help on the scoreboard, but it really can break your spirit as a defense. And, uh, it, you know, you can charge the fans up and the whole stadium up by getting stops in those plays and you get them juicing into the game. Whereas if you get a, let up a long conversion on a third down like that, it just takes the air out of the stadium. So, you know, the mistakes, the, the penalties and the... The breakdowns and coverage and the third and long conversion, just a lot of mistakes from the Dolphins in this game. And obviously penalties are going to hurt you 100% of the time, but it was the plays in which the Dolphins had penalties that were really a killer. On the first possession of the game, they have a third and six they convert, but they're set with a legal formation penalty on Jawan James, who is lined up. They say that you have to have your helmet on the on the, the any part of the center's body, and a lot of teams do this. They line up with a kind of a curve formation at that pocket, and they do it all the time. And the, the ref, for some reason, decided to throw a flag on that play. Kills a big conversion for the Dolphins. Gets them off the field on offense. So that one hurt, and it wouldn't be the last one that they would commit on the night. Their very next offensive penalty comes in the second drive when they are first and 10 at the Oakland 45, and they get another big pass completion, but Miami com commits a 10-yard holding call, and I don't know if that was the right call or not. I don't recall that specific one. I'll go back on the film and look at it again, but that cost them another big play there. And then the opening drive in the second half, uh, Miami comes out and gets another first down on, on first down, but commits a 10-yard holding penalty, then goes back on a false start on the next play, so that drive gets ruined from the start right there. 
And then the fourth, the fourth penalty, and perhaps the biggest one that really cost him was, of course, I said that 31-yard play to Damian Williams in the past where Jarvis Landry gets caught for holding. He looks like he reaches out and grabs Bowman a little bit there, but not sure how big of an impact on the play it had. But those penalties were just crucial. And then the last mistake, of course, that really, really killed the Dolphins in that game was the Kenyon Drake fumble. The offense was cruising at that point. The running game was clicking. The passing game was going. The Dolphins had momentum. It was a 6-3 ball game. They go into the red zone. Kenyon Drake fumbles the football. And on the Raiders ensuing drive, they get pushed back to a 1st and 25 and wind up converting three plays later. So that drive, that se- sequence of plays, pretty much the the difference in the game as far as the Dolphins are concerned. Takeaway number two is going to be the quarterback play and Jay Cutler for as much crap as I have given him. He was absolutely terrific in this game. He was seeing the field. He was moving the defense with his eyes. He was accurate with the football. He threw the ball with precision and, and touch down the field. He escaped pressure well and he threw under the gun with poise. He looked like a guy that did not have any type of rib injury. He was working with the protection that he got and which was pretty good in this game. Patch protection held up pretty good until Jawan James goes out with the injury and we'll see what happens with Jawan James because that would be a massive loss for the Dolphins. He has been terrific this year and really the only offensive lineman that has been 100% reliable for the Dolphins this year so we'll see what happens with him but Jay Cutler I think you kind of saw a little bit of time off for him to see things happen from the sideline the way he did in the in the comeback win over the Jets as well as the game against the Ravens and then to have a 10 days off from that point forward I think the rest and the kind of chance to get into the playbook a little bit probably helped him a lot and this new scheme helped a lot too so and we'll get to that here in a second as that is takeaway number three the new offense and with the two new backs was quite nice I thought they looked really good it's just those big plays that they bogged down on penalties and a couple of mistakes here and there that really cost this offense they wind up at 24 points in the night very easily could have had over 30 if not for the mistakes they were efficient like I said in the passing game as well as the running game that inside zone and some power trap plays they ran those all looked good the power trap play on or excuse me the inside zone on the Kenyon Drake two-point conversion was a really nice looking play and then the 42-yard run that he had where Anthony Fasano peels back on a trap play on a power right play that was gorgeous and power play is basically where you have a pulling guard or a tight end in this case and you try to go man up on the on the blocking scheme you double at the point of attack and you hope your running back can hit that hole and get a big game and he did just that and you know Kenyon Drake had a lot of juice and, and power in this game and he really did a good job of of hitting the hole with conviction and kind of knowing where he was going. I think you kind of see what Adam Gaze is talking about when it comes to JHI and not being able to do that this year and kind of slumping back to old habits. And Kenyon Drake definitely took that advice and, and applied it to the game and played very well. I thought he had a very nice game, except for the fumble that obviously cost his team big time. And then Damian Williams even had some elusiveness. I wasn't aware that he had. He's normally a pretty unimaginative runner. Doesn't really do a lot when he's very undecisive when it comes to picking holes, but he was sharp in this game, had another third down conversion, caught the football very well. I think he can do a lot worse than those two guys as your two running backs. All right, guys, this is the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. We'll get back with the fourth and fifth takeaways. We'll your Twitter questions first. But first, I got to tell you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or tuned in wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and drop us a rating review. And I got to tell you guys about Pro Football Focus and what they're offering with the free PFF Edge subscription. If you guys want to go ahead and get a chance to win that free PFF Edge subscription, all you have to do is go into the podcast on Apple Podcasts and write a nice little review. Leave your Twitter handle in the review, and you'll get yourself into a drawing for a chance at a free profootballfocus.com Edge subscription of 40 value pff is the premier website when it comes to player grades snap counts and positional rankings they had that in the game tonight for miami and oakland uh, grading each player in terms of where they rank amongst their positional players they also have fantasy projections rankings tools and charts college stats and draft news everything you guys need for the draft leading up to april's annual nfl draft selection meeting and then also 
team player pages featuring each team and, and some specific stats for the team. The Miami Dolphins page is fantastic. If you're a Dolphins fan, go ahead and follow them at PFF underscore Miami for more news on them. So for your chance to win that free PFF Edge subscription, go ahead and write a rating and review on this podcast and Apple Podcasts for your chance to get a free PFF Edge subscription. And we've got two more takeaways here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. All right, takeaway number four is going to be the tackling and pass defense as total issues. On that first possession alone, Kiko Alonso was getting abused by Jared Cook in man coverage, and I don't really think that that's a good idea to have Kiko Alonso playing that type of coverage. I mean, he, he can be kind of spotty in zone, but that wasn't a good matchup for the Dolphins from the start, and they kind of adjusted from that point forward. Lawrence Simmons gave him some help, and they looked a lot better moving forward in that point, but Kiko Alonso had a rough day. He got sucked inside another big running play by, I think it was Jalen Rashard had a big running play, and Kiko Alonso got sucked down into, into the wash and got taken out of the play. Uh, just a rough night for him and Xavier Howard like I said hard it, it's always hard to judge cornerback play based on the broadcast version but it looked like Xavier Howard had a pretty rough night that pass interference toward the end of the game towards the end of the game basically did the Dolphins and they they weren't going to have a chance to come back once that occurred but he he just he's not doing very well this year according to pro football focus he is one of the the lowest ranked cornerbacks having a tough time with some of these top end guys and he, it's just not getting much better uh, Cordray Tankers they seem to be playing a little bit better but the pass defense it's it's just not good right now, and that, a lot of that has to do with the the lack of flexibility at the safety position. You saw Rashad Jones get beat on that deep play. He doesn't really do that particularly well. He's not like an Earl Thomas in that sense. Much better playing down around the box. Of course, they will get TJ McDonald back, but he's kind of the same type of player, so I wonder what's going to happen there. It was nice to see Maury Smith get on the field tonight. I want to see him play a little bit more moving forward and, and maybe get some work in with TJ McDonald while he gets worked back into the game, but Dolphins secondary going to need a little bit of retooling in the offseason, whether it's a premier corner on the outside, I don't, I don't know, maybe a, a third safety and kind of try to find some ways to mix coverages back there because right now it's just not working out for him. And lastly, the fifth takeaway is going to be the field conditions for the night. We saw Ndamukong Sue take an injury because of a, uh, his foot slid out. Juwan James took an injury that looks to be a lot more serious than Sue. Sue returned to the game, so he looks like he's going to be fine. But none of the pass rushers could really get going in this game. And it worked on both sides of the ball, really. Khalil Mack couldn't get going. Cam Wake didn't do a thing in this game. Andre Branch loves that bull rush, but he was just basically trying to run his man over because he knew he couldn't really make any lateral moves. And the same case for Charles Harris. But uh, Ndamukong Sue, you know, he had that fantastic night from the interior rushing position because he can kind of use power and use leverage to get on guys inside there and that awesome strip sack that he had where he laid out and got the ball from Derek Carr that was fantastic but if they're going to have a shared stadium with the Dolphins and Hurricanes the Miami Hurricanes that is they're going to have to find something different to do with this this field because when the water funnels in like that off the canopy and when it rains it's really hard to get a hold for that field or for the field to kind of take hold to the to the surface it's laid down on and the Canes played you know late on Saturday night so there was 24 hours in between games and the field just can't really recover from that there's too many divots and things like that so the field looks good for the Hurricanes when they play, but then the Dolphins get out there and, you know, the professionals have a subpar surface. It's not really going to work out for them. And I've never been a fan of the artificial surfaces. I don't I don't like the field turf as much as natural grass. I think it looks a lot better. I think it plays a lot truer. But I think at some point you have to consider it. Although there was a great point made on Twitter tonight. I believe it was Rolando Rodriguez made the point that they can't go to grass or to a field turf surface because the Dolphins love to have international soccer play in Hard Rock Stadium. It's part of the, the allure and kind of part of their draw they got with the remodel, and you can't blame them for trying to make money off of it. That's the whole point of having a building and, and owning the building, and Stephen Ross has done a great job remodeling that place and getting it looking as beautiful as it is. You go back to four or five years ago when it, before the remodel, the field was a joke. The, the stadium just looked disgusting, really. Now it looks awesome, but they want to have international soccer, and international soccer has to have grass surfaces and out here in Seattle where I'm from they did play some World Cup qualifying games at CenturyLink Field in Seattle where the Seahawks play which is field turf surface artificial uh, turf 
but they have to roll over a grass service over the top of that. It looks kind of strange, and the players did not like that one bit. So I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I think the best resolution for it would be to get the Hurricanes out of the building, which is not going to happen either. So I guess we're just pissing into the wind talking about this. But the field conditions were terrible once again. It's been a problem all year, and I hope it gets fixed real soon. All right, before we get into the Twitter questions here, I just wanted to go ahead and remind you guys about the scheduling program we had. It was a little bit off last week. I took a day off. I was gone for work, traveling for the week, so kind of tough to do a podcast from the hotel and with my different schedule and having to go out with bosses and, and meet with drinks and all that stuff. So couldn't get that done for you guys on Tuesday, but we did have three shows in the week. But going forward, you guys know the drill. Monday is the recap show, which is you're listening to right now, the game recap, the five takeaways, Twitter mailbag, all that good stuff. Tuesday is the statistical show, the statistical recap from the game. We'll talk about some advanced stats and some more analytics from that point. And then Wednesday is the film review. I'm going to go ahead and get that GIF done for you guys. Either on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not sure what's going to work with my schedule, but I'll get those up on Twitter and talk about some of the best and worst plays from the Dolphins game on Sunday over the Raiders, and providing you guys with content via Twitter as well as LockedOnDolphins.com, which you guys can check out now for a great piece on Kenyon Drake from Adam Vaccaro. He posted last week. I think Kenyon Drake kind of lived up to that hype a little bit this game, and we'll do some more stuff this week with writing as well. So there's content for you guys there on my Twitter, at NFL, on the show's Twitter, at LockedOnFins, and of course this podcast you're listening to right now which the Thursday show, of course, is the game preview show. We'll take a look at the Panthers game next week on the Thursday show. And, of course, this podcast, the Locked on Dolphins podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. All right, let's jump into the Twitter mailbag here right off the jump. Get to the first question from CA number 17 is his screen name. His handle is at Fanatic1972. Will Miami front office ever see past their blindness and realize our O-line sucks? I don't know that they necessarily view it that way. I think that they made a mistake of undervaluing the position in the offseason. And if you look at the guards that were available via free agency, there was a bunch of them. There's a lot of good ones that I liked. Larry Warford was the guy that I really wanted more than anybody else. The Browns went crazy in spending on offensive linemen. It hasn't really worked out for them in that sense. And if you're going to pay a guard that kind of money, he better be really good. I don't think you really get that in free agency. Most teams aren't willing to let guys walk that are that good. So I don't think that the value is there in free agency. And then, of course, when it comes to the draft, you know, it's all about value. And if you try to take a guy in the first round that's an offensive lineman, you're probably not getting the best value, especially in the interior of the offensive line. So it's a really delicate balance you have to find. You really do have to find those guys later on in the draft. You hope that Isaac Asiata was one of those guys. You hoped that Billy Turner was one of those guys. You hoped that Jamil Douglas was one of those guys. You hoped that Dallas Thomas was one of these guys and it just has not worked out for him in years and years and years of bad drafting at the position has led to what you have now, which is a broken down Mike Pouncey in the middle who is no longer a good player at all by any stretch of the imagination. Jesse Davis, who actually played another pretty good game, and Chris Collinsworth gave him a lot of props in this game. Right guard Jamon Bushrod, which is a tire fire at this point. And then right tackle Jawan James has been really good this year, but he goes out and then, of course, Sam Young's first snap gives up an easy sack to Khalil Mack. So just a number of years of bad drafting has led this, led us to this point now. And I think that they will address it in the offseason, especially, you know, that center position probably figures to be a big one. I, I imagine they're going to want to get a big body at center, a guy that can move guys around and kind of help with that more inside zone as well as power scheme too, which le- leads right into our second question. And we're going to kind of do it as a two-parter because it's kind of the same question from two different guys, two good falls on Twitter. First is Canadian Finns fan. That's at KTB135. He says, we seem to have some success in the power run game. Could we see a permanent shift away from some of the outside zone runs? And then also on that same question, Patrick Ryan asks, at Patrick Blackburn, he asks, did you see, or do you see Gaze leaning more on Drake as a lead runner in the weeks to come? What are your thoughts on his game and where he needs to improve? To answer the first part of that question, I think absolutely yes. I think Gaze has always preferred inside zone. And also that power running game too when you need it. It looked like they showed a little bit more of that on the third down stuff where they would try to do some trap and some pulls. And they did it with that, 
two-point conversion to Kenyon Drake. Damian Williams had a really nice third-down conversion early in the game at, at one point on a third and one. So I think that they will stay more to that inside zone style and really try to take advantage of what this offensive line does well. And what I think they do well is they, they move around pretty well and they don't necessarily have the strength to hold up at the point of attack. So when you do that outside zone, you have to be able to hold that block and anchor for a while. And those guys weren't capable of doing it, especially Mike Pouncey and Jermon Bushrod. And going inside zone gives the running back more of a decisive run and a clear running lane to pick through along the offensive line. And the second part of the question from Patrick Rayburn, do I think Gaze will lean on Drake Moore's lead runner weeks to come? And what are your thoughts on his game and where he needs to improve? I think yes. I think you really saw their roles play out in a, in a strong way in this game against the Raiders. I think Kenyon Drake is going to be more of your early down carry guy that can kind of, you know, try to get you out of that first and or second and long on the first down runs. And, and Damian Williams does the same thing too, where he gets into the hole and he picks his hole and he gets up for positive yardage. There was not that many negative runs tonight in this game. I don't think there was even more than one or two, whereas Jay Ajayi was constantly getting stopped in the backfield. So I think you saw that plan change and it kept, that's what, that's why the passing offense really took off in this game was because of the running game having success on early downs. And I think that Drake is going to be the guy that funnels in more of those bigger plays, big carries early in the game, early in downs, early in series, I should say. And I think Damian Williams gets kind of relegated back to that third down rule, which is kind of increased when you have a two back system, which is what the Dolphins are looking at now. So I think that running back will be something they try to address next year. But for now, it'll be more Drake and then uh, sprinkled in Williams. I think where Drake could really improve. I don't, I don't have a great answer for that yet because I'm not really sure I've seen enough of him to kind of give him critiques. And I know he's had some snaps last year and he made some big plays and he had some, you know, the fumbling issue, I guess, is an area you can start out right now because that fumble was really costly in this game. But he ran so well and was such juice in this game. I don't really want to fault him too much because he had a good average, had the big run. He fought really hard for extra yards and I thought had a really good game. And the last Twitter question we get here is another uh, kind of paired question between two guys who asked very similar questions. The first one's from Mill. That's at VKSB2. He asks, were all the holding calls legit holding? And then Microborough21 at Mike Broyles2 asks, please address all the ticky-tack penalties. I kind of did earlier in the show, but I think that the biggest beef I have with the holding was the Jarvis Landry play on the Damian Williams big play. He got outside the shoulder pads on Navarro Bowman, but he let go right away. And Bowman really sold it more than Landry committed it. And what I mean by that is the veteran player knows that once he... Once the blocker gets his hands outside the shoulder pads, he can kind of throw his arms up and look helpless, and it really sells the officials kind of the way a catcher will frame a strike in baseball. I think Bowman definitely did that on Landry because Landry, once his arms got outside, Landry got rid of his hands off of Bowman, and that usually should not go for a call, but Bowman gets the draw on the penalty. And then, of course, the ticky tack like Micro Bro mentions, it, the whole game, the, the Juwan James play from the start, the first drive, which that drive was going so well. You heard Chris Collinsworth mention it. They made a foul on the kickoff, which if Jakeem Grant just stays in the end zone, look at the 25-yard line. But instead, he brings it out. They commit a foul. They get back to the nine-yard line. That penalty, the Juwan James penalty, brings them back. If not for those, the Dolphins score points on that drive. So the ticky-tack calls and the and the, just the brutal mistakes definitely cost the Dolphins this game in general, and, and the officiating did not help them at all. So I'll look I'll look at the officiating more for you guys on the film. It's hard to tell, you know, in the live moment of the game because I'm, I'm busy tweeting and doing other things, but I'll have more for you guys on that. But it definitely was a problem in this game. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's show. I'm going to go ahead and go to bed. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. And check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL, and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Plenty of good written content for you guys. There will be more this week as well. Be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football.